but we got close to the time where I was supposed to go on. And I finally heard him in my ear. The assistant producer was like, Austin, I'm very sorry. We've made a mistake. Uh, instead of going for 30 seconds, we're going to need you to fill three and a half minutes of live TV time. <laughs> and then he started counting me down. 10, nine. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I don't know about you, but I had never had the experience of having to fill three and a half minutes of live TV time when I'd only prepared about 30 seconds. So he counted me in, said go, and I started talking. And the truth is, I don't really know what I said. <laughs> but I was tremendously grateful for the help I received because throughout that entire TV spot, you know what I could hear from that production room upstairs? I could hear that guy talking in my ear saying, well, announce this, talk about where to get offering, uh, talk about the new website, talk about the concert coming up. And let me tell you, I don't think I would have survived had it not been for the man in my ear from upstairs. Hey, welcome to Night Church, the Friday evening service of Praxis, the young adult ministry of the Loma Linda University Church. You're going to be hearing some great sermons, testimonies on this podcast that are going to encourage and deepen your faith. We are so excited that you're here, and I hope you enjoy this sermon, and so much so that you share it with someone that you love. Welcome. know about you all, but every once in a while in this life, I feel inadequate. So a few years ago, uh, a little over three years ago to be exact, I got married in what was probably the best decision of my life, let me tell you. But what came with that family, or what came with that person, of course, is a family. And the family is a wonderful family, but let me tell you something about this family. I am of average height and average athleticism at best. And I married into a family with a bunch of six foot six basketball players who far exceed my talent at any level, at every level, in any kind of sport. So occasionally in my life, I feel a little inadequate. And when I feel that way, and when any of us feel that way, sometimes what we like to do is ask for help. And sometimes we ask for help in situations where we really need it. Sometimes there are situations we've gotten ourselves into. Sometimes it's something we can't help. Well, I came across a news story a few years ago that was a little bit amusing. There was a man in Corpus Christi, Texas, whose job it was to go and service ATM machines. So one day he'd gone out to do his job. He went to service an ATM at a Bank of America. And he was in there doing the maintenance work that needed to be done. And he went into the room where the ATM machines are housed, kind of the back room there and inadvertently allowed them to shut and locked himself in there. And lo and behold, he left his key card in the truck, he left his phone in the truck, and the bank was closed. <laughs> so there wasn't a lot he could do. Well, he came up with a plan. 
he needed help. So what he started to do is he started to write notes on the pieces of paper that would go out as receipts to the customers <laughs> as they came to withdraw money from the ATM or deposit checks or whatever. And cars came and cars went. And finally, one car got a receipt, read the note, took it seriously, and called the police. Well, they came down. They managed to get it opened up. And one of the policemen who had responded to the scene said about the incident, sure enough, we got there and we could hear this very quiet voice from inside the ATM <laughs> asking if we could help him get out. Sometimes we need help, don't we? After college, I took a job up in Central California, my first job out of college, which I greatly enjoyed. And it was up in the Central California Conference, a little bit north of here. And something that they do up there every summer is camp meeting. But camp meeting at Central is not like camp meeting here. Camp meeting there is like old school, like RVs, tents. And they're out there by Santa Cruz, but a lot of these people never leave the campsite for whoever knows what reason. You're in Santa Cruz for crying out loud. But they go up there, they do all these different programs and all these different things. And as a pastor in that conference, of course, I was put to work, as all the pastors are in that conference. So I got a job in kind of the main auditorium tent doing uh, tech stuff, just stage managing, helping out with different things. And one thing they decided to do that year was they were going to do a slightly different approach to the broadcast audience, the audience that joined on TV and online. So as the program was wrapping up in the main auditorium and the announce announcements were being spoken to the live audience like this, what they would do is they would take one person, they would put them literally on a chair inside the main auditorium with a microphone, and that person would speak directly to a camera. And the purpose of that is to speak to the broadcast audience because all the announcements that are being announced in the main auditorium aren't necessarily relevant to the people who are watching on TV or online. They need different announcements. Anyway, as part of this, what would happen is they would get a little earpiece in their ear because it was exceptionally loud in there. So that way they could hear the producer talking to them, they could hear information they needed, and they could just announce the things they needed to the broadcast audience. So one particular night, I was chosen to do that job. And I thought, this will be fun. They came to me. They were like, can you do it? I said, sure. They were like, OK, prepare something, 30 seconds or so. You know, Thank the people for watching. Come back tomorrow. Quick announcement, and you're good. And I was like, sweet. I can do that. So the night came. I went out there, got in the seat, put the earpiece on, put the microphone on. Uh, it was about 10 minutes before I was supposed to go live. So I just sat there, waited. The guy standing behind the camera was also just kind of sitting there waiting. And it got closer and closer to the time when I was supposed to speak. And the guy behind the camera had his big headset on. And he was listening to the producers upstairs. And I noticed that he seemed a little bit frustrated. And I wasn't sure why. Well, I looked at him. And there were no producers speaking in the earpiece in my ear. But we got close to the time where I was supposed to go on. And I finally heard him in my ear. The assistant producer was like, Austin, I'm very sorry. We've made a mistake. Uh, instead of going for 30 seconds, we're going to need you to fill three and a half minutes of live TV time. <laughs> and then he started counting me down. Ten, nine. And I was like, oh my goodness. And I don't know about you, but I had never had the experience of having to fill three and a half minutes of live TV time when I'd only prepared about 30 seconds. 
So he counted me in, said go, and I started talking. And the truth is, I don't really know what I said. <laughs> but I was tremendously grateful for the help I received because throughout that entire TV spot, you know what I could hear from that production room upstairs? I could hear that guy talking in my ear saying, well, announce this, talk about where to get offering, uh, talk about the new website, talk about the concert coming up. And let me tell you, I don't think I would have survived had it not been for the man in my ear from upstairs. Sometimes we need help. And let me tell you, we all need it sometimes. Well, today, we are concluding a five-part series, a five-part series called I Feel Like A. And tonight, the title is I Feel Like a Broken Vessel. We're talking about different moments and times in the life of David. Now, you're all familiar with David, and David was a man after God's own heart, as the scriptures say. But David was a man that was also full of mistakes, full of a lot of mistakes. Well, tonight we're going to turn to a place where he is feeling like a broken vessel. And it's not necessarily because of a mistake, but it's this way because of a sinful world. So we're going to read from Psalm 121. But before we get there, let me talk a little bit about the background and the context of the scripture tonight. So here we've got David. Now, scholars disagree on the authorship of Psalm 121, but there are those who believe that David indeed wrote it and that he also likely wrote it not long after the death of Samuel, his friend and mentor and confidant, someone who was exceptionally important in his life. So you can think about that and you can think about the type of feeling he would have. In fact, if you go and look at the text that my friend Tariq read tonight in 1 Samuel 25.1, you'll notice something interesting there. You'll notice that in that text, it is just one single verse that mentions the death and burial of Samuel. Everything surrounding that text is narrative about other things entirely. We've got stories about David and Saul and their conflicts. We've got stories about David and Nabal and Abigail and their conflicts. So David in this moment, is constantly surrounded by conflict and strife. And in the middle of all that, Samuel dies. So try to put yourself in his shoes for a moment. How would you feel? And I don't know about you, but if I think about myself, if I'm in a moment of life that is exceptionally difficult and I am struggling, and then on top of that, someone who is very close to me dies, that would be tough, to say the least. And I think I might feel like a broken vessel. So here we go. In the midst of all that, what happens? Well, of course, David writes a psalm. Psalm 121. Now, this psalm is split up into four different stanzas. The first one is kind of a question from David. And then the last three stanzas, two, three, and four, our response from God. So let's read that first answer together, verses one and two. David writes this. I lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So immediately you notice something here. David is asking a question. Where does my help come from? 
And what is the response? Well, of course, it comes from the maker of heaven and earth. It comes from God. But I want you to notice something interesting here. It's a word David uses, or a phrase, I suppose, that he uses. I lift my eyes up to the mountains. And if you don't understand your biblical background and context, that phrase is actually a little bit tricky. So a few years ago, my family and I had the opportunity to visit the Holy Lands. And one of the places we visited was called Petra. And I don't know if any of you are familiar with what that is or where that is, but it is in the country of Jordan. And what you will see there if you ever visit is some fantastic and tremendous architectural wonders from the ancient world. Now, if you've ever seen Indiana Jones and The Last Crusade, I think it is the last one because we don't count the alien one. What you will notice in that movie is a scene there near the end where he goes to this enormous temple carved out of rock. That's Petra. So we visited there and we hiked around. It is enormous. There are a lot of places you can see there. And during the middle of the day when it was blazing hot, we hiked to the top of a mountain, which I don't know why we did that at that time. But anyway, I digress. We hiked to the top of the mountain and what we saw up there was a pagan altar. And of course, from some millennia ago, that is where they sacrificed humans. They sacrificed people to their pagan gods. And that was very common. You would see that in high places, altars up there. So if you think about what David is saying here, there's a little bit of nuance there. And the people then would have understood what he meant. I look up to the mountains, to the high places, to the pagan gods, but where does my help actually come from? It comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. So this is the question David is asking. Where does my help come from? And the answer is very, very clear. The maker of heaven and earth, of course. But then the question immediately arises, well, what is God going to do then? How is he going to help David in this situation where he is feeling beaten down and broken? So again, we've got three more stanzas. So let's read number two and see what it says. Verses three and four say, he will not let your foot slip. He who watches over you will not slumber. Indeed, he who watches over Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. So answer number one, God says, I will protect. So protection, I think, is the word I would use to kind of summarize this stanza. God says, I will protect. He will not let you slip. He will not let you fall asleep at the wheel, as it were, or he will not fall asleep at the wheel. I will protect. I ran across a story in a book entitled Liberating Ministry from the Success Syndrome by Kent and Barbara Hughes, and they write this. It was Christmas Eve, 1875, and Ira Sankey, the well-known gospel singer of the late 1800s, was traveling on a Delaware River steamboat when he was recognized by some of the passengers. His picture had been in the newspaper because he was the song leader for the famous evangelist Dwight L. Moody. They asked him to sing one of his own hymns, but Sankey demurred, saying that he preferred to sing William Bradbury's hymn, Savior Like a Shepherd Lead Us. As he sang, one of the stanzas began, We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. When he finished, a man stepped from the shadows and asked, Did you ever serve in the Union Army? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered, in the spring of 1860. Can you remember if you were doing picket duty on a bright moonlit night in 1862? Yes, Mr. Sankey answered once again, very much surprised this time. 
So did I, the man responded, but I was serving in the Confederate Army. When I saw you standing at your post, I thought to myself, that fellow will never get away alive. I raised my musket and took aim. I was standing in the shadow, completely concealed, while the full light of the moon was falling upon you. At that instant, just as a moment ago, you raised your eyes to the heaven and began to sing. Let him sing this song to the end, I said to myself. I can shoot him afterwards. He's my victim at all events, and my bullet cannot miss him. But the song you sang then was the song you sang just now. I heard the words perfectly. We are thine, do thou befriend us, be the guardian of our way. Those words stirred up many memories. I began to think of my childhood and my God-fearing mother. She had many times sung that song to me. When you had finished your song, it was impossible for me to take aim again. I thought, the Lord who is able to save that man from certain death must surely be great and mighty. And my arm of his own accord dropped limp at my side. God says, I will protect you. So when David asks, Lord, what will you do? I am a broken vessel in a dark world. And God answers and says, I will protect you. But of course, the text doesn't end there. It continues on. So let's read the third stanza or the second part of God's answer, verses five and six. David writes, the Lord watches over you. The Lord is your shade at your right hand. The sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. So I think if the first stanza means I will protect you, the second stanza would mean I will guide you. He will not leave you by day or by night. He is your shade uh, during the day, um, the moon at night. So he will guide you on the path. Our family visited Rome, Italy, a couple years ago. And inside of Rome, there is the smallest country in the world, Vatican City. Um, as it's also known, the Holy See, the place where the Pope resides, the head of the Catholic Church. And it takes some time to get in there if you want to go, but I would definitely recommend it. It's incredible. Anyway, we were in Rome, so we went to Vatican City. And inside of Vatican City is St. Peter's Basilica, one of the largest and most beautiful churches in the world. Well, we were there as part of a larger tour group, but we had gotten into Vatican City one day early. So we were walking around, we got there to the Basilica and thought, hey, why don't we take a look around? Well, we found this tour guide who was starting up a group there. Uh, he seemed like a nice guy, so we decided to follow him around. And he was fantastic. He guided us all around St. Peter's Basilica, told us about all the tremendous pieces of art, the sculptures, what everything meant, and we really, really enjoyed it. Well, like I said, we were there a day early, so we actually came back the next day to St. Peter's Basilica, this time with a much larger tour group. And we went and we took essentially the same tour from a different tour guide. This tour guide was horrible. He was the worst. He didn't know anything. He uh, didn't give us any of the same facts. He just, you know, kind of hemmed and hawed and we didn't learn anything. I cannot tell you how much I felt for the people in this larger tour group because I think that their experience was unfortunately tainted by a tour guide who just wasn't nearly as good at his job. Well, our experience the day before had been incredible. 
there is a big difference between a good tour guide and a bad tour guide. But when God says, I will guide you, that is exactly what he means. So again, we are two stanzas of the answer in so far. I will protect you and I will guide you. But we have the fourth and final stanza or the third part of our answer here. So we're going to go back to the text. It is the last two verses, verses seven and eight, and we will see what God says here. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going both now and forevermore. So if the first stanza, God said, I will protect you. And in the second stanza, God says, I will guide you. I think in this third stanza, God says, I will bless you. So David is there once again, crying out to the Lord in a moment of tremendous hardship and difficulty, almost unimaginable. And he sits there and he cries out to the Lord for help. And God answers and he says three things. I will protect you. I will guide you, and I will bless you. In Budapest, Hungary, the famous, famous pianist Andor Foldesh was born. He was an internationally renowned pianist from there, and he won many, many awards throughout the course of his life. His large discography included uh, things from Beethoven, Mozart, Rachmaninoff, Bartok, Liszt, among many others. However, of course, he wasn't always that famous because you got to start somewhere. Well, when he was about 16 years old, he was already an incredibly skilled pianist, but he was going through a period in his life that was difficult, very difficult to say the least. But in the midst of this young Hungarian struggle, one of the most renowned pianists of that time came to town, came to visit Budapest. Emil von Sauer was known for his incredible abilities, but von Sauer was also known for one other thing. You see, at that period of history, von Sauer was the last living student of the great Franz Liszt. So von Sauer came to town, and he asked for Foldesh. He said, come, play something for me. And of course, Foldesh obliged. He played some of the most difficult works from Bach, from Beethoven, and from Schumann. And when he finished... Von Sauer walked over to him and kissed him on the forehead and said these words, My son, when I was your age, I became a student of Liszt. He kissed me on the forehead after my first lesson saying, Take good care of this kiss. It comes from Beethoven, who gave it to me after hearing me play. I have waited for years to pass on this sacred heritage, but now I feel like you deserve it. And God says, I will bless you. So many of you have come here tonight, doubtless from a variety of different walks of life from different places. And here you are. Some of you have had good weeks, but some of you have probably had weeks that are not so good. So tonight, 
if you've come to the foot of the throne of grace at the end of your line because you have nowhere else left to go and you have come crying out for something and you say, God, where are you? My life is filled with strife and with conflict and with difficulty and I just cannot seem to see you. You are not alone. In fact, if you look to your left or if you look to your right, you might find someone who feels very, very similarly to you. And God, in his tremendous wisdom and in his great glory, looks back down upon you and says, listen, I understand what this is like. In fact, I once lost my life over things like this. But I will be here for you. In fact, I will protect you from the dangers and the darknesses that surround you. And I will guide you on a path that can some days be a little bit treacherous. And finally, I will bless you beyond what you could ever, ever imagine. Hey, thank you so much for joining us for the Night Church podcast. We really are excited for where we're going and you can help us in that mission. There's a few things that you can do. Number one is just stay connected. So if you want to follow up what's going on in the young adult ministry here at Loma Linda University Church, follow us on Instagram at Praxis Ministry. And then the other way to really build from this is to financially contribute. Your donations make such a big impact. And so if you go to lluc.org slash give, you can connect with Praxis Ministry there on a one-time gift or a reoccurring commitment. It makes such a difference. Well, we love you, care for you, and may God bless you richly as you take theory and make it into practice.